I just want to say, and then certainly move on, uh, we are so grateful for the privilege of serving at Skycrest, and our, our feeling is that we should be giving you guys a present for putting up with me, perhaps, but just for the privilege of worshiping here and serving God's cause on this corner. It, it is our privilege. But we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, who we know the scripture says is fully God and fully man. He was the Lamb of God, the King of Kings, the Lamb of God sent to take away the sin of the world. Jesus was known as the Word made flesh, the great physician, the good shepherd. He was a wonderful counselor, everlasting Father, mighty God, and Prince of Peace. Jesus is the living water. He is the bread of life. He's a liberator. He was a carpenter. He was a friend of sinners and a revolutionary who challenged the religious elite in their smug hypocrisy. There's one more thing we need to know about Jesus. He was a wonderful storyteller. The fact is that as Jesus did ministry in Israel, great crowds followed him wherever he went because he told stories that broke through religious pretense and into reality. And his stories forced the people who were listening then and should force those of us who are listening now to face the fact that following God should always make a difference in our lives. And the fact is, if we look at the fruit of our lives and we see no difference that Christ has made, then we need to ask why. Why is it that I can trust the one who was raised from the dead and in, fills us with resurrection power? Why is it that I would be left unchanged? And when Jesus told stories, he called them parables. The, the word comes from two Greek roots, Para means alongside, and ballo means to throw. But the word parable itself came to mean to place alongside something for the purpose of comparison. So Jesus would tell a story that everyone understood, and then he would lay alongside it some spiritual truth that otherwise would be hidden in plain sight. And the result was that those who were seeking, listen, those who were seeking truth about God and his kingdom and their own personal spirituality would find it through those parables. And those who weren't would be mystified. The truth would elude them. Now this summer, as JP mentioned, we are going to be studying some of the parables that Jesus taught for the purpose of he taught them to challenge their stale spirituality. And I believe God preserved them in his infallible, inerrant word to challenge ours. 
And so we're going to be studying the parables. Now, the first parable that we're going to examine today is one that's featured in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The truth is, if you read through the four Gospels, John doesn't actually present any of the parables, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. And we're looking at this one first because not only does Jesus interpret this parable, so there's no misunderstanding, but he also takes this time, takes advantage of this particular parable to explain to the disciples why he chooses to speak in these mysterious with these mysterious stories. So I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, we're going to be reading out of the book of Luke, Luke chapter 8. And if you turn to the New Testament, it's Matthew, Mark, and then Luke, Luke chapter 8. This parable is also found in Matthew 13 and Mark chapter 4, but we're going to be looking at Luke's account today. And we're going to begin just reading the parable. Now, I know that many of you know exactly what Jesus is going to say and how he's going to interpret this. But I would just invite you in this moment, if you can, to check that and just listen to the story. And I want you to think, would I have understood that? Do I get what Jesus is trying to say? Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 4, the scripture says, While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered, because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Will you pray with me? Father, we ask that today that you would open our hearts and minds to you, that we would hear the life-transforming truth of your word, and by your spirit we would be compelled to do our part to live in alignment with your wisdom. It's in the strong name of Jesus I pray, amen. Now, for those of us who live in a paved world, this story may be somewhat foreign, but for those who lived in the agricultural society of Israel during Jesus' day, this story that he told was just lower shelf stuff. Everybody got it, and everyone could relate to exactly what he was saying immediately. Here's what you need to know about the way it worked in their society. In, in Israel... Fields were generally narrow plots of land that were separated not by hedges or fences, but were separated by footpaths. So if they flew their drone up, and I know they didn't have drones, but if they flew a drone up and took a picture, what you would see are all the fields clearly demarcated, but because of the trails that outlined the field. 
And so the sower, who would be using a broadcast method to spread the seed, would reach into his seed bag, and then he would sling the seed across the patch until his entire field was thoroughly covered by the seed. And an experienced sower, the objective would be, look, I'm not going to waste one inch of plowed ground. What the sower understood he controlled was distribution. Only distribution. What he did not control was the ground that the seed fell on. And so no matter how skillfully the seed was distributed, if it did not fall on good soil, there would be no crop worth harvesting. Nothing to glean. Everyone who had ever cultivated a field understood that's what Jesus was talking about. And he astutely names four kinds of soil that the seed could fall on. The first he mentions is the pathway soil, that trail around the outside of the field. They, it, was, it was an unplowed trail. And the pathway would have been as hard as concrete in that arid, dry climate. And the seed that fell on it, and you say, well, why was he throwing seed onto the pathway? Because remember, he wanted to put seed in every inch of plowed field. So naturally, some of the seed would bounce off the ground and into the pathway. But that seed that fell on the pathway had absolutely no hope of penetrating the soil. Any seed that fell there would lie on top of the ground until... It was trampled underfoot by the people passing by, or it was eaten by birds. Second, he says that some of the seed fell on rocky soil. Now, when we think about rocky soil, you you may be picturing a patch of ground within his field that just has pebbles and rocks in it and makes it really difficult. It's just littered with rocks. But the truth is, any farmer that was serious about harvesting a crop, when they plowed the field, they would bend down, pick up those rocks, and throw them away. If, if a plow struck a rock, then they would dig down and toss it to the side. No farmer would leave rocks that could compromise his crop. What Jesus is actually talking about here was a layer of rock that was actually beneath the topsoil. And it was so deep, that just so deep, that as he, the farmer plowed, he would have no idea that the rock was there. Okay, so the only time they discovered that there was rock under the topsoil was when the plants began to come up. Because what would happen is that those plants grew in tandem, some going above ground, some going below. If the soil was good, the roots could penetrate deep into the soil where they could access moisture no matter how dry the climate was. But if that layer of rock was there 10 to 12 inches beneath the surface of the soil, then the roots would stop and the plants would come up and grow much more quickly than the plants that actually, the seed that actually germinated in good soil. So they would look at the plant and say, oh, that looks great. And then they would realize, nope, it's just growing faster than the others. But there's rock underneath, and it has no hope of producing a crop. The third type of soil was actually infested with weeds. And you say, well, why would he throw 
seed in ground that was infested with weeds where you couldn't see them. The roots of the weeds were down in the ground. And what happened was the weeds and the crops came up in tandem, but the weeds grew so quickly, stealing the nutrients and moisture from the soil, that they literally choked out the crop and prevented it from bringing forth fruit. The fourth type of soil that Jesus identifies is fertile soil. Okay, the, the seed that lands in fertile soil in his story always flourishes. Fertile soil leads to a bumper crop. Now, obviously, every sower hopes that all the seed he broadcasts will fall into fertile soil because, listen, the objective of sowing seed is a harvest. That's the idea. We need to bring in the harvest. Nonetheless, they know that some of the seed will not bear fruit, but the seed must be sown anyway because the farmer understands that the seed has within it the power of life. It is sustenance for his family. The seed represents the hope of the future. Now, everyone in Jesus' audience understood his point. But the question is, did they understand the spiritual truth he was teaching? How could they? He just told them a story that they could all tell to each other. As a matter of fact, at this point, the disciples didn't even get it. So, no... They didn't understand. But make no mistake about it. Listen, this is going to be key moving forward. Their inability to grasp the meaning of the parable as they went was a variable that was beyond the sower's control. Okay? If they didn't get it, it's because they chose not to. It was on them. It was on the hearer. In this case, it was on the soil. So their problem, not the sower's. Now, this point is made subtly in two ways. First, we need to recognize that there is no mention of the skill of the sower. He's doing what he does, and his effectiveness has nothing to do with his skill and everything to do with the soil. The second point is there's no mention of the quality of seed. Okay, it's all good seed, and it is fully capable of bringing about a bumper crop. All good seed. Again, the difference in the outcome rests in the quality of the soil it lands in, not the quality of the seed sown. So what does that mean? That means this parable should not be called the parable of the sower, that's a misnomer. It should actually be called the parable of the soil. Why? Because it's about the soil in which the seed is sown. So we ask the question, what, what truth, what spiritual truth is Jesus going to lay alongside this parable? 
The disciples couldn't figure it out. They needed help. So they stepped up and said, Jesus, will, will you explain? And, and he said, yes, I'll explain. But first, I need you to understand why I teach in parables. Now, I want you to look at Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 9. His disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? Now, listen closely to what Jesus says. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables. Now buckle your seatbelts because this is shocking. So that those seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. Did Jesus really say that? I teach in parables so that though they see... They don't get it. And though they hear, they won't understand it. Does that bother you? Here's what we need to understand. The parables were a way for Jesus not only to teach spiritual truth, but they were also a way to differentiate between the seeker who wanted to learn and the skeptic who wanted to expose him as a fraud. There were some that gathered who really wanted to know truth about the kingdom of God. And there were some that gathered with their arms folded in a posture of rejection because they didn't want Jesus to be Lord. So the mysterious nature of the parables actually served to expose the difference between the two kinds of people that gathered. For those who wanted to silence him, their dismissal of his ministry and his teaching would reveal that they would never understand the truth because they didn't want to understand the truth. They didn't want his truth to be true, and they certainly weren't going to submit to it. They understood how life worked, and he did. He was the problem. So they were never going to understand the parables. And Jesus used parables to expose their unbelief, their resistance to him. But for those who came to him, who were truly hungry for the kingdom of God, believing that Jesus had the words of eternal life, God would use the seed of his word to reveal the truth. And those people alone who were truly seeking, they would be able to see and here to understand and respond to the truth and the byproduct of responding to the truth would be that they would grow in faith and righteousness their lives would bear much fruit for God's glory so what did this parable mean well Jesus tells us beginning in verse 11 Look at Luke chapter 8, verse 11. In no uncertain terms. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed, that's the word of God. 
Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Whose fault is it? Jesus, no, he's telling the truth. He's spreading the seed. It's Satan that takes away the seed so they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it. Oh, it's fabulous truth. But they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, when the climate is the driest, they fall away. And the seed that fell among the thorns for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil, stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain the word, and by persevering, produce a crop. Now, as we've said, focus is not on the sower. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was interpreting the parable, he didn't even mention the sower. The sower could be anyone who chooses the courage to share God's truth. Now, how do I know that? Because the seed is the Word of God. But listen, the focus is not on the seed. The seed is God's Word. It's perfect seed. And when planted in the right soil that isn't resistant to its difficult-to-believe truth, when it's planted in the right soil, it produces a bumper crop. Listen, God's Word is good seed. It's good seed. And the key to this parable, to understanding Jesus' interpretation of this parable, is found in verse 12, which ends with this statement. And then the devil comes and takes away the word or the seed from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. The objective of sowing seed, the seed of God's word, is the harvest of belief and salvation. It's the harvest of belief and salvation. That is always the case. When we plant the seeds of God's truth, we are planting the seeds of faith to salvation. That's always the goal. And by the way, we don't change the objective. That's the mission. We also don't change the seed. It's good seed. It's timeless seed. It's as good today as it was when Jesus uttered the words. Timeless truth. So we don't change the objective. We don't switch out the seed. God provides the seed and the objective is set. It is for the harvest of souls. It is so that every man can understand the truth of the gospel, 
which is the love of Jesus Christ who came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was buried and raised from the dead so that we might be connected with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's the gospel. That's what we're sharing. So why doesn't it, why doesn't it always produce The only variable in the equation is the heart of the hearer. It's your heart and my heart. Are we submissive to God's eternal truth? Jesus said, if you get just a little of this, I'll give you more. But if you reject any of it, you'll be rejecting all of it. It's our heart. The first heart that Jesus deals with is the hardened heart. It's represented by the hard soil of the path. It's the path the world walks on. It's the way the world defines we should go. What's interesting to note is that the person whose heart is represented by the path is they're actually in league with our enemy. See, they hear the word, the seed falls on the hard soil of their hearts, and they reject it. And then the enemy, who doesn't want to lose his influence over them, comes quickly to snatch the seed away by convincing us it's wrong. By leading us to doubt it. And the seed never has a chance. See, the enemy, if you're not a follower of Jesus, the enemy doesn't want to let you go. This soil is the saddest of all because it represents the most hardened, hopeless heart. God's truth can't penetrate. The next two hearts are somewhat more receptive. There's a little more hope. But in the end, the result is sadly basically the same result. The fruit of salvation eludes these hearts as well. What's the, the first one is the heart that's represented by the rocky soil. And you know what's great about this heart is when, when they hear the truth... They receive it as we should with joy, great joy. And it may even be, it certainly is because of the parable Jesus told, the, the plant begins to grow and it looks like there's going to be a bumper crop. Huge harvest. They love what they hear. A plant emerges, appears capable of bearing fruit, 
But the problem is, this heart doesn't allow the plant to take root. The enthusiasm for the seed is always going to be tested by the arid climate we live in. There's a wilderness. There's a season. where it just doesn't feel like it used to. The question is, how will you respond? Without deep roots, the plant withers and has no fruit. This type of soil experiences conviction but not conversion. See, the dry climate of testing reveals that these plants didn't have the roots to produce the fruit of the kingdom of God. Then there's the heart that's represented by the weedy soil. It also shows progress as the seeds germinate, but unfortunately... What happens with this heart is it's just not quite able to break free of the world's value system. People with this heart, they hear the good news and they want to experience life with God, the abundant life. But they also want to keep control. They want to keep themselves in the world. So they want the fruit of a relationship with God, but not at the cost of abandoning the world's value system. Not at the cost of denying themselves and taking up their cross and following Jesus. Trusting the seed that's planted within them. You know what Jesus said about these people? He he said, they're trying to follow two masters. Or three. Or four. And this happens when we compartmentalize. Right? It's like, okay, I'll handle this part. God, I'll give you that part. I'm going to take this part over here. But God, I need you to stay out and... I'll give you that. I'll give you Sunday mornings. I'll give you charge of my health, well-being of my family. But, you know, don't, don't, I need you to stay out of my business. Don't pry in those areas where we may not agree. You know what Jesus said about this person? No one can serve two masters or three masters, or four masters, or five. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. See, if there are two masters, 
Jesus is not Lord. He's not calling the shots. And his seed is not going to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. The only heart capable of producing the fruit of salvation and the fruit that brings about the kingdom of God on earth just as it is in heaven is the fertile heart that makes room only for God's word and then clings to it tenaciously. I might not like what it says, but I'm submitting to its truth. I might not like what I'm going through, but I'm trusting God's word. This might not align with my philosophy of life, but he alone has the word of truth. James put it like this. He, he said, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent around you, and humbly accept the word, the seed, planted in you, which can save you. Remember, we're talking about the soil. This is the parable of the soil. And what the Scripture teaches us is that we have the capacity to prepare the soil of our hearts to seek God. And if we are seeking Him... We will find Him. God will faithfully plant the seeds that can bring life and bring it more abundantly. The seeds of peace. The seeds of faith and salvation. And if we do not persevere in this Word through the trials of life, we're not going to produce fruit. There's only one kind of soil that produces fruit. One is the fertile soil that lets the Word of God take preeminence. That understands that the wisdom of God is the way to life so listen, it is imperative that we take some time to evaluate the soil of our hearts. We, we need to know. Remember that the purpose of the parables is that we're supposed to learn that our lives on the other side of hearing God's truth are different than they were before we understood it. how would you assess the soil of your heart? Have you or are you rejecting Christ that you, what you really need to be true is for Him not to be the Savior of the world. For Him not to be the Word made flesh. And so you 
approach him with arms folded in a posture of rejection, just hoping that you can discredit the truth of the gospel because you don't need it to be true because you want to be Lord. That's the soil on the path. It's the way the world moves. Rock hard. Rejecting the truth of Christ. Or maybe as you evaluate, you think, I I wonder if I'm the rocky soil. Do you think back to a time where you were convicted by the truth of God's word and you got all excited about it and then, well, you know, life started happening and the water wasn't quite as wet and you began to wither. You wondered if it was real. Pretty soon, the faith that you thought was flourishing is withering away. And now you're just not sure. Or maybe maybe you had an encounter with God and you recognize there's some other things that you've prioritized over God and His kingdom, over God's truth and His wisdom. And so you're a house divided, a heart divided. Thorns are growing and the crop of faith is struggling. It's being choked out. Can I, can I just say that Jesus never ever says tough things won't happen to us. That there won't be difficulty and that following his word won't be challenging and even painful at times. But what he says is, if you persevere, you'll bear fruit. You'll enjoy the change. You'll be transformed. Are you serving two masters? Giving some allegiance to God and His Word and some allegiance to the things that the world says is true or makes you significant. Wherever we are, what Jesus is implying is that we ask God to help us clean out our hearts and keep it humbly receptive to the seed sown through his word. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we're, we're thankful for the truth that is good news, that Jesus loved us so much that he stepped out of eternity and into time to live a perfect life and die a horrible death on the cross, be buried, and yet raised again so that we could have life.
Father, if there are those here today who came in with hard hearts, but by the power of your Holy Spirit, their hearts have been softened to the truth of your word. I, I pray, Father, that today might be the day that they embrace the truth claims of the gospel and receive Jesus to be their Lord. How do you do that? You, you just tell him you believe. You accept the good news of Jesus. Father, for those of us who have been walking with you, who trust Jesus as our Savior, I pray that we would lean into him as Lord, that we would trust your word as the words of life. We would trust you for peace. Forgive us, Lord, when we stray. When we embrace the world's way and reject yours, lead us into the way everlasting. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Will you stand with us? Your good, good father.